This is Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Good afternoon and welcome to the show. Hey, you know what? I, I think most of you are probably getting tired of me every single week jumping on the, oh, we got lots to talk about real estate. But you know what? This week, again, we've got some news that's coming out. One of the ones, of course, that we've heard over the last little while, the potential of a foreign buyer tax being uh, implemented here in Ontario. The Minister of Finance has uh, almost thrown down the gauntlet saying, hey, listen, this is something we now have to consider. Is it a tax grab or is it that they actually want to try to control the market? Because for a little while there, they were saying not going to happen. And, um, you know, we're looking forward to maybe having Mayor Tory on one of these days because I'd like to take get his take on it because I think he's probably the man that uh, has a little better take than the provincial government on this topic. So, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things. And and speaking of the mayors, you know, one of the, uh, one of the mayors that we had on, in fact, last week, the mayor of Tilsonburg was joining us. And, um, you know, he's off to uh, going out to Asia, actually. They're going on a, I would call it a trade mission. And, you know, they have some twin cities throughout China and Japan. And so they want to encourage, you know, some of the money to come here as investment. Um so does it behoove the Ontario government to all of a sudden slam down foreign investment, especially because they kind of are targeting Chinese buyers, and then turn around with the other hand and say, hey, look it, we're going to tax you this way. But you know what? Here, shoot me a little a few bucks over here to make sure that you, uh, you, know, you bring your film industry here. I don't know. I think it's going to be interesting how this whole thing plays out. And of course, lots of people weighing in on this. You know, this is one of the things that I I think that um, that is going to be a, a debatable topic until they either put it in place or they don't. And a couple of people that were weighing in on it, of course, some professors out of Ryerson, uh, uh, Ryerson City Building Institute. Um, I got to tell you, and, 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 and forgive me for saying this because I'm not going to call any names out, but when these people say they're a professional in things, I kind of wonder where they did actually get their degrees because when we start hearing them say, not only should we put a foreign buyer tax in, we should also implement another tax because they're not getting taxed enough because if they aren't getting enough income, they should be paying an extra income tax on the property every single year. All right. So are you inferring, I mean, I, I'm not sure what side of the coin or what party you're representing, but at the end of the day, do you truly want to tax everybody to death so they don't want to come to Canada? Because last time I checked with the open door policy that, you know what, we want people to come in, we want people to immigrate here, we want people to invest here. If you want to continue to tax everybody to death, we're not going to have foreign ownership. We're not going to have foreign buyers. We're not also going to have the same immigration level. And eventually people are going to get pissed off. Because one of the things I think we have to remember is foreign buyers aren't always foreign buyers. It just means they have not got their Canadian citizenship yet. And this is one of those things that I've been talking about has been a gray area for the last couple of years since this has come in. There are people that are actually living here that are not residents of Canada yet. They have jobs. They were gainfully employed, brought in by employers, trying to buy properties, and they're just waiting to become Canadian citizens. Should we tax those people heavily? I don't agree.
Okay, if you're going to actually be contributing to the economy, you're actually becoming Canadian, but you're not a Canadian yet. Does that mean that you are a foreign buyer and we have to nail you to the wall with the taxes? I think this is going to have to do, we have to do this differently than they did in BC, because the way they did it in BC still is of concern. And by the way, the sky's not falling out there. Despite the fact that the numbers were coming in and... um, Later in the hour, I'm going to be talking to Ramana King about this. But one of the things that we do know for sure is that the numbers are still up year over year in BC. So when the numbers came through in February, they were still up and there was significant growth, 17 to 20% growth from February 2016 to February 2017. That is almost on par with the Toronto marketplace. So how do we cool this market off? You know what? One of the things is add some inventory. We've got a shortage. Second of all, interest rates might naturally do it if we start to see a bit of uptick. Speaking of interest rates, I'm going to have uh, Dave uh, Butler joining me from Butler Mortgage in just a few seconds. And we're going to talk about interest rates with Dave and what his take in is on it and what is happening in that market. And remember, I've got my favorite section, which is Minutes with the Mayor, and it's coming up. We've got the Mayor of Oakville joining us this week, and you're going to want to hear about Oakville. And speaking of Oakville and all sorts of areas, uh, we've got a seminar coming up at our new head office coming up May 25th. The one in April, completely full, can't take any more people on, but May 25th, we've got the Simple Seminar. Go to thesimpleinvestor.com to make sure you register because uh, we're running out of space on that one too. So folks, um, we're a little bit tighter this this time and uh, make sure that you get in. But now I've got Dave Butler joining me and uh, all of you are familiar with Dave, of course. You've heard of Butler Mortgage, and Dave is a regular here and joins us, and thanks for joining us today, Dave. Thanks very much, Todd. Appreciate it. Oh, man. I got to tell you, <laughs> you know, we can talk about the market. We can talk about what's going on. I'm not sure that uh, you and I can make sense of things anymore, but one of the important things that I thought I'd discuss with you today, obviously, is, uh, you know, the Fed changed uh, this week, new announcement. What do you think? You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, uh, who knows what's, you know, likely to happen down the pipe down here in Canada. We've got obviously the U.S. You know, making some moves and some upward movements on the rates. Everybody says that Canada follows the U.S., um, you know, although what will the timing be? Uh, you know, I don't deny that. I think there is certainly a pattern of us following them or our economy is following them. Um, however, timing seems to be the big issue. Well, you know, and one of the things, Dave, uh, you know, we've been, we, if you follow the Bank of Canada, they are still very leery of touching our rates because, you know, we saw fluctuation like crazy this week in oil. You know, one minute they're up, one minute they're down. The dollar's like a, I mean, look, it's, it's a good teeter-totter. It's keeping everybody on their toes. But, you know, more importantly, we're still, um, even though, you know, we did add, add some jobs last month, we're still kind of underperforming as a country. Absolutely. I mean, without a doubt, you know, obviously the one thing the Bank of Canada makes pretty clear is that uh, I don't believe they see any any hikes in the for you know in the in the future coming up. Um, certainly, you know, is there only really room for it to go up? The answer is yes. Uh, when uh, I certainly think we're a little bit behind. I mean, Central Canada is still suffering, um, you know, obviously from some of the job losses, uh, you know, and obviously out in the West we're seeing uh, certainly some some uh, kind of downward movement in some of the price of the real estate market. So that's generally when you've got one side of the country super hot and the other side kind of seeing some negative response, and you've got the middle of the country suffering from jobs. That's not generally a type of 
market where the government's going to want to increase interest rates. So let's talk interest rates because it's you know a big part of your field. Um, are there still attractive rates out there for people? Yeah, I mean, uh, certainly the variable rate, as we're talking about with the Bank, the bank of Canada prime rate, um, variable rates are super attractive right now. Uh, we're seeing as low as the, you know, on the high ones, low twos, uh, which is fantastic. We've seen kind of, you know, a very interesting thing playing out with the fixed rates, uh, as we saw a bit of a spike at the end of the year last year, which was somewhat expected by most people that had seen a pattern for the last three or four years. And then we've actually slowly, slowly, though, started to see them come a little bit back down. We saw actually a 0.05 reduction from some of the major lenders in the past couple of weeks. Obviously, very small reduction, but a reduction nonetheless. So anytime that arrow is pointing down, that's a good thing, I think, for all of us. Uh, but certainly, some attractive five-year fixed rates still in the mid-twos uh, to uh, three-quarter twos. Um, so certainly, interest rates are keeping this market going, that's for sure. And uh, if we can stay under three for the rest of the spring and summer and even see a bit more downward, I think we're going to see a fantastic year here in Ontario. Well, you know, it's interesting that you say that because you and I, you know, we whipped out our crystal balls every once in a while and we've been talking about the spring market. And now that we're coming full-fledged into it, you know, middle of March, I always deem to be, you know, you're fully into a spring market. And, um, you know, you and I talked about this, that, you know, back in the fall when we watched TD and RBC, you know, take their own personal rates there up a little, you know, one of our comments, of course, was the fact that, hey, listen, come springtime, we normally start to see it trickle back down because, you know, this is this is quint- the quintessential time for families to start moving, and this is when they start talking rates. Without a doubt. And I think the banks have started to see, and I think it's just also something in terms of Canadians, we've come, become a little more uh, cyclical in terms of when we like to purchase real estate and sell real estate. As you know, Todd, there's a lot of realtors out there that will actually tell a client not to, set, not to list a home in December and January, wait until the spring. So what happens is when you've got this you know, robust amount of business being done in about six to seven months of the year on the real estate side, you see the banks decide that they're going to fight for that. And so when you see the slowdown kind of usually happen in the, in the winter in the real estate market, the banks appear to not want to necessarily fight for the business. And that's, we've seen a bit of rates creep up. As soon as the spring comes in, though, as we've seen cyclically, the banks are going to start to fight each other soon for this big chunk of business coming up. And that ends up ultimately leading to some lower rates. Certainly, it would be ignorant of us to ignore the bond yields, but we're saying all things kept equal, the rates should technically come down the spring and summer simply by the fact that the banks are going to now lay down the gauntlet and start to fight for that big chunk of business. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I like your analogy about that because it makes a lot of sense. And, uh, you know, it's almost it's like watching the horse races, right? You know, which 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 one are you going to pick to be the winner? And, and, and you know, so some, some of the different lenders win by a nose, but it's still in the benefit of the of the borrower. So, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. So interesting stuff. Um, you know, foreign buyer tax, um, you know, being tabled potentially here in Ontario. Do you think you're going to have, uh, you think it's going to upset the market? Uh, you know, all we, I think all we can really do is look at what it's done to Vancouver. And I, I've spoke to some mortgage brokers out there. Um, they have told me certainly activity is down. They're even seeing some reductions in pricing. Um, so certainly just based on that, I think if a foreign tax was to come in, um, by nature, it could slow things down slightly. I don't believe that would make you know foreign buyers not want to purchase in Canada. I believe that would just push them off to the next province that's not taxing them. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. 
So anyways, Dave, always a pleasure having you on. Um, you know, always lots to talk about. So we'll definitely have you back. And, um, you know, let's keep our eye on this. Thank you very much, Todd. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, folks. That was Dave Butler from Butler Mortgage. Remember, you can go to butlermortgage.ca. Hey, listen, coming back, uh, coming up after the break, I've got Romana King joining us. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. And welcome back. Do you feel that the market is, oh, I don't know, a little bit strange? There's stuff going on that we can't even explain. Well, you know, one of the uh, one of the best parts about my job here, and uh, being one of the hosts at News Talk 1010, you know, we are always able to, you know, go out and tap incredible talent and professionals in our industries. And of course, my next guest, one that you have heard many times here on the show, she is a real estate expert, a editor, author with Money Sense Magazine, and it is uh, Romana King. And Romana, welcome to the show. Hello. Always great to have you on. And, <laughs> you know, you and I always, uh, always before we get uh, get going, it's always, wow, it, this stuff just writes itself. It does. There's so much much to talk about. I know. It's, uh, I mean, real estate has just been the hottest topic for the last decade, but it's, it's heating up even more. And nobody, I think nobody could predict that that was going to be the case. But there's so many factors that are involved right now. You know, you and I, uh, we haven't talked uh, for probably about a month. I think we've got a lot to discuss because not only are the numbers up, there's, you know, the threat of a foreign fire tax and then people weighing in saying that's not going to be enough for Toronto, that they're going to want an extra tax. And of course, Vancouver, your BC market, you know, people are saying it's down, it's up. So how about we start on the West Coast and we'll work our way east. Can you give us an update on what's happening in Vancouver? Yeah. So, I mean, what has happened is the foreign buyers tax, and even prior to the foreign buyers tax, there was a pullout of of what we now know. It's definitely foreign buyers. And what ended up happening was uh, there was an impact on the market. And for that reason, we've now seen, you know, seasonally adjusted average house price has actually dropped over 6% in, in uh, Vancouver and the Lower Mainland. It's a little bit more in, say, the Fraser Valley, which is the like Langley, Surrey area, which is almost 8% drop in housing prices. This is un- unpre- unprecedented because we've just been watching the West Coast go up and up and up for a decade. So for it to finally sort of make that transition and drop finally, that doesn't mean you're going to get a deal. <laughs> right. Still looking at 1.2 and above for a, a detached house, which I think most Canadians would say is not a deal. <laughs> but what we're seeing is we're definitely seeing that there is a definite slowing in the market and a reduction in probably the higher end homes, which is pulling that average down. Well, you know, it's interesting because when 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 I read the numbers, because you know, you know, both you and I were like, you know, glued to the stats and everything else, so we can keep informed. And one of the things is year over year, though your per, your percentage is up seventeen percent, but your your uh, your adjusted number was basically from the peak in July. So mm-hmm. you know, so so for our listeners' sake, having them understand the folks, it wasn't that the numbers actually down, let's say, 7% from last year. It's actually up from last year, but you had that crazy increase going through the spring. So that kind of peak in July is where you're off, correct? Yes. So, I mean, that's the thing with statistics. Depending on the parameters in which you look, that's what's going to give you the answer you need. So some people are saying it's up. Some people are saying it's down. I mean, we have to put it in context, exactly what you said. We might be down, but, you know, we still had massive appreciation years. 20. 
16 was one of the best years on record for real estate in Vancouver and for Toronto. And, you know, when we're down, we're down to what, spring prices in 2016, which were still significantly ahead. So if you're selling, you're still selling at a very hot, very, uh, you know, profitable um, market right now. Yeah, it was interesting also, um, you know, some of the reports coming in and when I was looking at the stats, your your townhomes and your, and you know, they call them flats, I call them, you know, condos, but oh, they're, those numbers, um, they're not down. In fact, no. they, they, they've remained kind of flat. So, which, which for you and I, you know, we, we like that kind of news. Like nobody wants to go backwards. Nobody wants to go up by 30% unless you're selling. And on top of it, when we hear kind of a market stabilizing, that's that flat market. So why is that the situation? I think it's a confluence of, of a number of things. You've got first-time buyers that are struggling to get into the hotter markets. So you've got the Toronto and the Vancouver markets that are well over a million for a single-family detached. So an easier, better option is to try and go into the, the condos or the flats and the uh, townhomes. And what you have is you have individuals that are keeping the, the demand for those pro- that product high. So prices are not correcting all that much. When we hear that, so again, we, we know for a fact that, you know, the whole first time home buyer market, um, have you have you heard much about BC's report about them, um, you know, subsidizing some of the down payments for the first time buyers out there? Has, has there been many people taking advantage of that situation? We have not heard any reports. We did hear that there was a big, strong push for the application of it, but they only anticipated about 40,000, 45,000 families or people would actually qualify for that, you know, first-time buyer, extra subsidized, you know, loan from the B.C. government. We have not yet seen numbers as to how many people applied and actually received that. Um, I think that we have been hindered in the Vancouver market with extremely bad weather. So we've had one of the worst uh, winters on record in 30 years. And I've seen there were days where there's absolutely no activity in the market whatsoever. And that's across the lower mainland. There's not a single sale. So and and, and is, that, is that because you, you've had so much snow and the weather's been so bad? Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds funny, but, you know, you've got people that are just not willing to make the trek. And, and I've actually been in the market and there are agents that are, you know, unwilling to venture out in the storm. They're just not used to that kind of weather here. <laughs> so really ground to a halt. Well, I don't, so, I don't, I don't know if you heard Tuesday here in Toronto, we got, uh, you know, we, we got what they, you know, considered a, a bit of a storm and it's five centimeters or 10 centimeters of snow and everybody, you know, locks it up and then everything, everybody creates havoc. And, and it's interesting that, um, you know, that, I, you know, when we think of BC, we think of snow and yet your, your weather could actually slow you down. Absolutely. And, and it just goes to show, I mean, there's a reason why December and January there's a holiday season, but it's also the, the weather. The weather really does have an impact when you're selling something that's, you know, tangible, when people want to see it, they want to actually get out there. And it, it is harder. I mean, we, we've we looked at, you know, and I've talked to buyers that have been looking at houses. And as soon as the snow cleared up in the Vancouver area, they were able to see issues with the house because the snow covered that up. And people are a little bit more leery in, in, in colder weather. It can be a great opportunity to buy, and it, but you have to understand the circumstances. I think that you know, as we were talking, the, the slower sales has meant that the spring selling market, which usually starts to really peak in, in the, the West Coast in February, March, I think it's slower. So now we're, it's going to be more of a March, April spring market out here. And so we don't really know the impact of, you know, this loan that the BC government has had, you know, whether or not it's going to be a hot spring market or not. And I think everyone is really holding their breath to see how is the spring market going to translate in Vancouver and Toronto and that's going to set up the rest of the year. That said, we need to remember in 2016, it was a really hot spring market. And then in Vancouver, in the lower mainland area, it almost ground to a halt between June and August. 
partly because of the foreign buyers tax and partly because of situations that were occurring internationally that impacted foreign buyers in Canada. Yeah, excellent. Well, I'll tell you what, Roman, how about you hang on? We're going to go to a quick break, but when we come back, I want to talk to you and let's move east. We're going to talk about Toronto, talk about foreign buyers, a whole lot that's going on here. And um, so we'll do that when we come back. How about that? Sounds good. Excellent. So, folks, stay with us. I will be back with Romana King. She is real estate expert, editor, and you can find her in Money Sense with a lot of her articles and their fabulous read. So, stay with us. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, my guest right now is Ramana King. You might know that name. Uh, she's been a guest here numerous times, uh, a real estate expert, editor at Money Sense Magazine, and coming from the West Coast right now. And uh, we were just talking about the Vancouver, BC market just before the break. Um, Ramana, one thing I forgot to ask you, um, apparently BC is also struggling with with a little bit of a loophole on some rental increases. Can you kind of give us a little bit of an overview on that? Yeah, I mean, this actually is... It, uh, Ontario actually realized that there was a problem as well. The rental increases occur... Um, typically across Canada, there's some sort of rent control, and that's that's a very broad statement. Uh, but there's, you know, you can only increase a certain amount um, per year. In BC, it's 2% over inflation. So if there's inflation of 2%, you can do a 4% increase in your rent, in your rental rate on, a, on an annual basis. Um, however, if you've got a geographical justification, so if rents in your geographical area have gone up significantly, you can actually apply for, in Ontario, it's called an exceptional rent increase. Right. And so that's what people are doing out in, in Vancouver and the Lower Mainland. They're saying, listen, you know, in my building, I have six units, and four of them have gone up because people moved out. And then I got new renters to move in, and they're renting at twice the market rate that I have on the other two units. I'm, a, I'm going to apply for this exceptional rent increase. And, of course, tenants are really shocked by this, especially long-term tenants. And there's a lot of long-term tenants in the lower mainland area who have committed to being, you know, renters for their life. And they're suddenly hit with these massive, some people are 73%, 43% increase in rent. Yeah. Now, just for clarity for some of our listeners, though, in Ontario, when Bob Ray brought in uh, rent control, okay, uh, I think it was around 89, um, when that was brought in, though, um, what it did was it mandated all buildings that were built um, before 1991. Yes. So, yes. so newer buildings actually don't have that same rent control factor on them as some yes. of the older buildings. And that's what people don't understand is that there's a very specific uh, market in which this actually applies. So when we were, I think it was last year or the year before, suddenly people in condos, because condos were built in the 1980s, 1990s, and then all of a sudden 2000, you got the new condo buildings going up. Suddenly they were hit with, you know, a 10% rent increase, a 20% rent increase. And I thought, well, this is not fair. There's a type of rent control in Ontario. And that's what we began to realize is that in order to incentivize developers to build purpose-built rental 
units, they actually said, listen, we won't put a rent control on them. We won't actually limit you on, on the rent you can charge on, a, on an annual basis. And they exempted these buildings built after a certain date, after 1991. And now tenants have to be aware that, you know, this, they could be hit with this. And so now in, in BC, they're getting around the loophole by doing the same thing. They're going to their, you know, residential tenancy board and saying, listen, I'm a landlord and my costs have gone up and, and geographically I can justify this rent increase. Let me do it. Sure. And and that's one of the things that, you know, for our listeners' sake, because, you know, now, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll move our main conversation to the east here, to Toronto, and lots to talk about. But, you know, one of the things is, of course, uh, rent. There's a lot of properties. We've got the, you know, the, the, the newer scape of the condominium market here. And I don't think that everybody's aware that, you know, they're not protected the same way. Now, of course, landlords have to be prudent. They have to follow the landlord-tenant board rulings and, and make sure that they do everything properly and and treat their tenants fair. But when it comes down to rent increases, they are not mandated to keep it down to, I think this year we've got a 1.5% increase for any anything that was built before 91. But yes. with the newer stuff, you can turn around and as you said, if you want to do a 10% increase, you can do it if it's on the annual basis. Yes. I mean, bearing in mind that I mean, I've gone through this as a landlord myself, you still need to apply for an exception. So if it's anything above the prescribed rate, which is the rate of, of inflation, you still need to make the application and then the board will approve it. So there is a bit of paperwork and process there. You can't arbitrarily just tell your tenant, listen, this is going to increase. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, it, you can increase it and people have done it. Sure. And that's that's one of the things that tenants have to understand is that there is always that uncertainty if you're living in a building that's built after or if you're living in a unit that came on the market after 1991. Yep. Okay, so let's let's talk about the, the hot potato this week and it is the major, major conversation and everything. And it is the introduction of uh, a foreign buyer's land uh, like tax. I, I don't even know how you want to put it because I think it's <laughs> it's just unbelievable that they're they're even contemplating it. Of course, the uh, Minister of Finance here in Ontario, um, you know, had said, no, no, we're not going to do it. And all of a sudden announced, yes, you know what, it's back on the table. It's something we're going to really consider. Um, and, you know, just as a, as a side note, we've got all these mayors in Ontario that are going over to China and Japan and, you know, we're, we're trying to increase business coming into the country, into the province, and now all of a sudden you throw this on the table and it's like, hey, listen, bring your income here, but if you're a foreign buyer, we're going to tax you. What's your take on this? Yeah, it's, I mean, for investors, we want, you know, the best possible opportunity to, to market the property so that we get the, be- the biggest bang for the buck. The problem is, is that there are domestic buyers, you know, people that live and work and, and build families in Canada that are being priced on the market. I think when the government of Ontario said, you know, and the city of Toronto said, listen, the foreign buyers tax is off the table right now. And when they said that last year, they really didn't see evidence of a lot of influence of speculative money. And I'm going to put it that way because we're not quite sure if it is foreign buyers, but they didn't see a lot of evidence of speculative money in the market. The problem now is that the, the speculative money and we're, we're assuming that it's foreign buyers, apparently has moved from Vancouver because there's been a drop in sales and a drop in pricing, particularly on the higher-priced homes in Vancouver. And it appears to have moved across the country, some in Calgary, but most of it in, in Toronto, and, and some actually in Montreal as well. So now all of a sudden the local governments, the municipal and provincial governments are like, oh, well, what we assumed last year may not actually be true. Maybe there is speculative money, foreign buyer money, that's actually pushing the prices up. Maybe we do need to do something about this. You know, these are elected officials. They really want to keep their electoral base, so people that live and work in the the communities that 
vote for them happy. So there is a lot of political momentum to try and curb what people on the ground, home buyers, see as a problem, which is money coming in and driving prices up. Okay, so so again, when you and I talk speculation, you know, and and you know how I define speculation for most people is this: you're buying something with the intention that it's going to go up in value, you know, so you're going to get capital gains, more of speculative market. People mm-hmm. aren't buying to to rent this stuff out because it's not going to carry. You've got a negative cash flow and unless you're paying cash for it. So bad investment. So mm-hmm. if we talk about a speculation in this case, and as we saw, because I know you were, you were, I think you were in town here in, in 88, 89 when the market crashed. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the biggest thing that we saw in the market back then was uh, houses were flipping daily. So it wasn't that, it wasn't that somebody was hanging on to it, like buying it and hanging on to it for five years. They were buying it and a, mo- a week, a month, a day later, they were turning around taking another offer for 50 grand more. And yep. that was that rolling of properties. One of the things that, you know, when asked uh, some of the some of the board members here, they've told us flat out, we're not seeing a repeat on the same civic address in a short period of time, which would be de- deemed more that speculation. And it's more people are coming in saying, look, at, we want our kids to have an education here. Yes, they're foreign buyers, but, they, you know, they want them to go to university. What do you think? Are, are, are they that are they that far off the base with this? Um, I mean, that's assuming <laughs> that's assuming that a survey in the a survey that people are going to answer honestly. Uh, you know, when uh, and maybe they are answering honestly. Maybe they do want their kids to go to university here. Um, I still think that it's a sort of a throwback to the 1980s when the government of Canada said, "Hey, if you've got money, you can buy your way into Canada," and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm, I'm not saying that that's a negative thing. It, it is just a, a policy or, or you know. A way to actually attract actually you know good investment, solid money investment into Canada to help the economy grow, and it's also a great way to attract brain power, people that want to actually learn, grow, and, and develop the economy in, in some sort of manner. Um, I, I think that there's still a lot of people that see Canada as a great opportunity for that. I don't know if Canada sees themselves as a great opportunity for that. I think that they are trying to balance between what the people that are currently here, the homeowners that are trying to get into the market, and the people that want to get into Canada, and maybe stay and maybe not. I think part of the dilemma we have is that you have certain economies in the world where wealth has appreciated astronomically and their purchasing power is much, much, much greater than people that currently live in Canada. Their quality of life might not be as good in their home countries, but their purchasing power is significant. And so they're looking for both now purchasing power as well as quality of life. And often we do that with our children. Kids go to university, go to a good university, and then you sort of buy your way into a better quality of life. There's nothing wrong with that, but I think it is going to hurt our market overall if we don't quite understand the impact of foreign money and affluence coming into Canada. And I think other other jurisdictions around the world has had sort of a testing ground. So London is a good testing ground for that. Sydney, Australia is a good testing ground for that. Hong Kong, believe it or not, is a good testing ground for that. What we see is that at a certain point, you cannot go backwards. And, and Toronto and Vancouver might have hit that point already. Yeah. You cannot go backwards. You cannot go back to an affordable home for a family. Yeah. Governments have to be aware that if you push those families out, you actually get those cities. Yeah. If that's not what you want, then you need to actually take some action. Yeah, I would have to agree with that one statement where I don't know if we can go backwards. We 
may not go and escalate at the same rate, but going backwards, I think is is one of those things. I think we, I think we've gone over that hump, and going backwards would have to mean that it's a major financial upset as opposed to doing it naturally. So, yeah. and, and some people are still calling for that. There's some people are still saying it's a bubble and it's going to burst. And, and I think what we're also seeing is that there are analysts out there, very educated analysts that are saying, no, this is more of a correction if it's going to happen, and a correction means no bottom falling out, no massive depreciation of a, of a property that you own. But it does mean that you're going to see some sort of uh, balancing out, some correction in prices. But if you're a long-term buyer, if you're buying because you've got a, a strategic plan and you understand that it's cash flow, as you mentioned, and, and depreciation over time, it's not going to impact you. Listen, Romana, always a pleasure having you on. Um, you know what? I'll definitely, uh, we'll be visiting again real soon. And we're going to keep our eye on this in Toronto and uh, and see what's happening also out in the West Coast there. So thanks for thanks. so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Todd. Folks, that was Romana King. And hey, listen, coming up next is Minutes with the Mayor, so stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Now, more of Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. And welcome back. As I said just before the break, this is the section that I love every single week. It is Minutes with the Mayor. And this week, we're actually going to talk to the mayor from an area that I'm has is actually very dear to my heart. It's my own hometown, and it is the town of Oakville. And fortunately for us, we have Mr. Rob Burton joining us uh, this hour. And Mr. Mayor, welcome to the show. How you doing, Todd? Excellent. Thank you, sir. I always like to make sure our listeners know I'm a huge fan of Oakville. Obviously, I live there. I've got a young daughter. We love the parks. Oakville has so much to offer. Mr. Mayor, for those people that don't know Oakville, perhaps you can talk a little bit of an overview on Oakville. Oakville originally thought of itself as a halfway point between Toronto and Hamilton. And for the longest time, it was a couple thousand people sitting between the two. But after World War II, it really started to grow. And uh, then in 1952, when Ford decided to put an assembly plant here, it really started to take off. And so you saw extraordinary growth every year for many years. It's only in the last two censuses that our growth has tapered off and uh, come down to what feels like a little more manageable rate. For those people that have never visited Oakville, they may not realize that, you know, you've got incredible waterfront, you have lots of festivals that go on, but um, for, you know, some of the sports enthusiasts, of course, we know the name of Glen Abbey, which is where the Canadian Open has been held for numerous years, and, you know, uh, Oakville has been able to host an incredible event there, but there's a lot more to it. Um, You know, there's a lot of synergy, a lot of schools, and huge employment. Your waterfront alone is... It spans the the entire length, length of the town there on Lake Ontario, but it has so much to offer with parks and walk paths and bike paths. Why is it that, you know, Oakville has put so much focus? Because it really is, I, I you know, being a resident there, I can see it, you know, it's so well maintained. It's one of those things that I think will always attract people to Oakville, but is this part of your mandate as well, is always being able to attract other people into the town? I think everybody who moves to Oakville, wishes we could shut the gate behind them. You know, <laughs> is a very attractive and livable place, and we work really hard to make it that way. And if you remember the commercial about uh, the kids not leaving home and uh, the advice to the mom and dad is to stop cooking with cheese. Yes, yes. Uh, 
Oakville residents keenly want kind of a premium experience in terms of the civic environment that they live in, the services they receive. People who are listening in Toronto and the city of Toronto who are required to shovel their sidewalks within 24 hours or they get a hefty fine, I know because I used to live there, they would be shocked to learn that in Oakville, we have machines and crews that come around and do it for you. (laughs) And instead of the city calling you up and nagging you, the residents call up the town if the machine is late and nag us. So it's like an opposite sketch from the old children's comedy show. You can't do that on TV. As a realtor for years, one of the things I recognized was that you as a town actually had some great controlled growth. And what what I mean by that is you didn't expand north of Dundas. Um, now that the new hospital that has been put into place, which is an incredible uh, spot. I've unfortunately had a few visits there, but you know, very well received. Uh, but now what we've seen is that now you've got a lot of growth happening north of Dundas. Um, Are we going to see continued growth? Is there a certain number of residents that we're seeing that Oakville's adding to its overall um, population? The province has a growth plan for the entire Golden Horseshoe, the Greater Golden Horseshoe, as they call it. And they have forecast population for every piece of the Greater Golden Horseshoe. Our forecasted growth number for last year, 2016, was 203,000. I think when I moved here 23, 24 years ago, uh, we might have been 140,000, something like that. But in fact, the census showed that we're 193,000. And so Oakville has grown slower than the province wanted. I was elected to, quote, control growth. That was my campaign slogan. Right. And what I've done is I've changed the rate of growth for two censuses now. We used to grow much faster. I mean, our rate of growth was 130% faster than than it is today when I became mayor 10 years ago. North of uh, the Dundas there that you're talking about, there's already several thousand household units been built, and there'll be a total of about 20,000 up there. And we have, according to the census last year, 65,000 housing units existing, including the few thousand that have been built already north of Dundas. So that gives you another way of looking at the scale of change to expect over the next 15 years. Those additional, what it would be, another 15,000 households on top of the 65,000 that we've got. And spaced out over fifteen years. Well, you know, I, again, I will. I, I have to commend you because being an outsider watching the growth, it's been. You can see that it's been very sensical. It wasn't out of control. Of course, we can talk about a lot of other cities that are close at hand that you know grew like crazy. You know, a lot of infrastructure issues. You know, overpopulation and some issues that you know created you know problems for their their residents. But again, taking a look at what Oakville has, you know, man. You know, I, I think people that, you know, live in Oakville can appreciate it and the fact that it's not being so overbuilt that, you know, they feel like they're jammed into every corner. And, and, and I have to say that it's, it's been very well managed on your part and, well, and your committees. Well, the vary uh, significantly all across town. And in fact, if you, one of the ways I try to simplify the geography for people who don't live here is I just say, imagine a rectangle that's about 15 kilometers wide and eight to 10 kilometers high and put that on the edge of Lake Ontario. And that's sort of the box we live in. And as you go uh, away from the lake, the density uh, increases. However, I gather that it's pretty attractive even in the northern end because the the new subdivisions sell out overnight. Uh, You know, my undergraduate university degree is in economics and uh, 
one of the things you learn in economics is when people bid against each other for something, that means they like it. So there's people out there that seem to uh, want to live here. I think that the reputation that uh, Oakville has been able to establish speaks for itself. One of the hot topics, obviously, is Glen Abbey itself, the golf course, and the idea of redevelopment. Is this something in the future that people will be looking at? Well, we're in the middle of looking at it. The way the province runs cities, and everybody needs to understand that the municipal level of government is created and run and dictated to by the provinces. I know when they teach Canadian government to you in grade 10 and in grade 5, it might seem a little remote, but it behooves us all to understand the game we're in, right? You don't take baseball rules to a hockey game. (laughs) And uh, they want to develop. They file an application, and the law requires us to consider it, and we are considering it. They're not happy with the way we're considering it. They've appealed us to the Ontario Municipal Board on a couple, three things. One hearing has already been held, and we're all waiting to find out what the result will be. And a second hearing is scheduled to go the end of this month, and uh, so another layer of drama yet to unfold. So it's too soon to say what will happen there. Right. But it appears to me that any time an applicant appeals his application to the Ontario Municipal Board, I feel like it means they're trying to get the decision away from us and have the board make the decision instead of the town council. And I, of course, believe that the the local elected people ought to make the decision. So we're not even talking about an appeal of the actual decision going on yet. What we're talking about is a maneuver, the outcome of which will determine whether or not we even get to make the decision. Well, I wish you the best of luck with that because, again, it's a, you know obviously it's a beautiful piece of property. If it's going to be developed, you want to definitely have control over it. Letting the uh, province tell you how it should be done is probably not the best thing. Well, I'm actually very hopeful for the longer term or the medium term on a separate track from whatever will happen with Glen Abbey because that's in the legal machine already. But the mayors of the uh, province and... Uh, especially the mayors and heads of council of the greater Toronto-Hamilton area. We've been lobbying for two years now for serious reform of the Ontario Municipal Board that would bring more decision-making down to the local level. I'm actually very optimistic that the government has heard us and is going to produce this spring uh, legislation that might help communities have more control over their future. I think that makes a lot of sense because you you are on the ground and you are working with the actual people, the taxpayers that are part and parcel of the uh, of the actual community. So, you know, being being able to represent, you know, their interests as well instead of just the provincial standpoint, I think is so important. So, you know, that's that's, that's an excellent thing that uh, if we can get that through and give the uh, give the actual mayors more power and and their actual uh, the group that would be so much better. So, um, Mr. Mayor, it's been a great pleasure having you on today with us. Um, Again, as I say, I I am a resident of Oakville. I'm a big fan of it. And for all our listeners, you know, coming down to one of the festivals and actually seeing Oakville is a wonderful thing and and lots of shops and and great restaurants. So I I thank you for joining us today. Well, I hope that uh, I see you in our classic downtown village where the spirit of the community of Oakville is really alive and on display. Well, thank you so much, Mr. Mayor. Okay, bye-bye. That was great to have uh, Mayor of Oakville on with us, Mr. Rob Burton, and I appreciate it. Um, You know, one of my favorite sections definitely is Minutes with the Mayors and talking about different communities across the province because we're starting to spread out, as you know, from last week in Tilsonburg. Also want to thank Romana King, always uh, a great guest as a real estate professional and advisor. Always good to hear her. And, of course, Dave Butler, keeping us up to date with the banks and rates and what's happening in the market. 
Marketplace. I want to thank all of you for tuning in. And hey, by the way, sometimes you can go to my podcast and get a little bit more of my interviews. And uh, definitely, if you want to hear a repeat or tell your friends about it, go to News Talk 1010's website and you'll be able to download my podcast. Anyways, I want to thank my uh, producer, Ian Grant, making my life simple and being able to put on this show every single week. I am your host, Todd C. Slater, and I will talk to you next Saturday at 3 p.m. Have a great week. Hey.